The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Welcome. We have just finished a stint in Arizona and New Mexico amongst the red rocks and the mountains and the energies that bring up so much and also allow for so much peace. And so this could not be a better opportunity than to really dive into a conversation in regards to a mystic and a lot of the amazing wisdom that comes through from that mystic. My guest today is Cheryl Simone, and she's a lifelong student of human potential, a spiritual seeker, an entrepreneur, a wife, a mother, and a CEO of several businesses. And she had some amazing experiences with a guru, Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev, who is a yogic mystic and a visionary. He's a spiritual master with the difference and has an arresting blend of profundity and pragmatism. His life and his work serve as a reminder that inner sciences are not just an esoteric discipline from an outdated past, but a contemporary science vitally relevant to our times probing passionate and provocative, deeply insightful, devastatingly logical, and unfailingly witty. Sadhguru's talks have earned him the reputation of a speaker and opinion maker of international renown. I think so often that we think about gurus in this one particular way, and this book allows you to understand the life of one, uh, whether you call him a guru or whether you call him a visionary, and you're able to see that they are both... Uh, sometimes allowing themselves to be as human and in their humanness as they merge with that divinity. And maybe that's the greatest example of all, that we are all masters walking and that we are allowed to have both our humanness as well as our divinity. The name of the book is Midnights with the Mystic, A Little Guide to Freedom and Bliss. And it is a series of intimate conversations with a wise and charismatic guru, and it's a compelling idea because so often we wonder what that would be like. We either are skeptics or we have followed our own gurus. So how many times have each of you wished for answers to life's deepest questions? Well, in Midnights with the Mystic, Cheryl Simone relates her personal experience of learning at the feet of Sadhguru Vasudev, India's most sought-after mystic. Welcome, Cheryl, to 1111 Talk Radio. Cameron, thank you so much for having me. It's a total pleasure to be here. Well, it's a wonderful way to have this conversation because I think we're in a time right now where either we have people that are extreme skeptics when you use the word guru, 
uh, we have we have uh, many that say the the time, and I know I often say that the time for teachers and gurus is over because we are all masters walking as we awaken into this. And then we have others that that are saying that a guru is something else. It is it is something uh, different than what everyone has thought it to be. So talk to us a little bit about um, is Sadhguru Vasudev a guru in the traditional sense, or or how do you see the term guru and the experience of Sadhguru Vasudev in, in your own experience? So I started out as a total skeptic. I, um, I'm totally American and very independent, and I don't want anybody to have any, any opinion about anything when it comes to me. Um, and so... The whole concept of guru isn't something that appeals to my American mind and my independence. But I've been a spiritual seeker forever, you know, starting with a little girl dying when I was in fifth grade and not being able to understand where she went. You know, how did she just pop out of here like this? And the question drove me crazy. It drove me crazy. I went to the... um, we were having a spelling bee, and the principal came in, and it was all this hush-hush, and, you know, everybody got upset, and then they said, you know, we don't know how to tell you, but um, Sharon's not going to be coming back to school. And so everybody was so grave, and I, I don't think I'd encountered death yet at that age because it hit me so hard that somebody left, and I couldn't understand it. So I went up to the teacher, I asked the principal before he left where she went, and they were saying all the platitudes, she went to heaven, she went back to God, and it just, I don't know, for some reason it flew all over me. I don't know if I was that isolated, but I had just, it never hit me that this was a temporary experience. And so I went home and tried talking to my parents, and they didn't know anything, and I ended up riding my bike to this girl's house, and I'd never been there before, and it was out of the area I was allowed to play in at that time. And I went to her house, and her bicycle was leaning up against the the outside of the house, and I knocked on the door, and both her parents were home. And I, I can't, it was such a vivid experience. You know, there aren't that many experiences in our life when we look back that are still clear. But I remember thinking how odd it was that her father was home, because my father would never have been home during a working day. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they, they were happy to see a little kid, you know, probably because of everything they'd been through, and they were really wonderful to me, and they brought me in, and we sat in a room, and it just flew all over me that death is part of our human experience. And it started something in me that made me a seeker. And so I started reading, even at that young age, everything I could, to the point by the time I was 14, I had read a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. So have you read that one? Of course, yes, yes. I think for any any classical seeker, that ends up being in their bookshelf. You'd be surprised how many people haven't read it. I don't know. Um, everybody I know has read it, but not everybody has read it. So when I read that, I was living in uh, Lexington, Massachusetts, and it was a really affluent town, and they were making LSD in Harvard. And my best friend, who was a guy's older sister, had given him LSD. So we had tried it when we were... Um, when we were like 15. So I read Autobiography of the Yogi, and I thought, well, this is, this is the first person that I've encountered anywhere that seems to know what they're talking about concerning spirituality. And at the time, he talked about his guru. He talked so lovingly and, and um, 
devotedly about his guru, there was something about it that kind of made me cringe because I thought, he he knows what I want to know. This thing that I'm looking for to understand is called self-realization, and he knows it, and he has a teacher who can help him get there. But the teacher sounds harsh, and it sounds hard, and it sounds like it takes discipline. So I didn't think that was for me, but yet I, I was intrigued with the concept of a guru. So then I did LSD probably six months or a year later, and I remember thinking, oh, those poor yogis, they work so hard for this experience when all they had to do was take the psychedelic stuff they just invented, and then your third eye opens, and you see that you're one with everything, and, you know, there's a shortcut. So, you know, I tried that shortcut for a little while, and and you would go up, and you would think you knew everything, and you would come down, and you would still be separate. So so then I went on this journey about, okay, that's that's a glimpse, but it doesn't change anything fundamentally about you. I'm still somebody who feels so separate. Even if we're all one, why do I feel so separate? So the guru idea was, you know, not something that um, I was, like, phobic about, like some people are, because of my um, respect for Yogananda. But anyway, I really wanted to do this on my own. And then I had an experience with another teacher named Ramdas, and it was a really big experience where something happened to me where he turned into his guru, and it was like I was talking to myself in his body, and he knew me better than I knew me. And I understood that that self that's observing my life is de-self. And it's the same self that's yourself and everybody else's self. And when they say there's only one being doing the dance of the many, it's that observer that we're all intimately acquainted with, but we don't quite understand because it's almost like we're schizophrenic, like there's two of us. There's this person that can get their feelings hurt and thinks they're this and they're that, and then there's this much bigger consciousness that's also us. And so... That, when when I was having the conversation with Ramdas started with him saying, you wanted to meet with me, what did you want to meet with me about? And I came with that question, I don't understand if we're all one, why do I feel so separate? And with every breath, I saw him turning into a different master, and it gave me the understanding we're all one if we can get out of this identity. Personality, the word personality means mask. So if we can get out of this mask we've plastered on ourselves, is one is one consciousness, one being. And so I I got so exuberated from that meeting with Ramdas, I thought, oh, I can peel this onion. I'll never need a teacher, I'll never need anything. This is inside me. He gave me a chance to see what it is. I'll be able to get enlightened in this lifetime. And then thirty years later, after doing everything I could, I had I met the Dalai Lama. I hosted a Tibetan Rinpoche who lived at our house for a year. I've done Vipassana um, retreats. I've done all different kinds of yoga. I tried practice after practice, and I loved all of it. I had Sufi friends. I just couldn't seem to do anything that made me fundamentally different. And... Then I was taking another meditation retreat, and I was at an airport in Phoenix, and I saw some guy looking rather glowy in the airport while I was waiting to change flights, and he was meditating. And then 
I changed flights. He was on the flight, and then I went and did a week-long retreat. And at the end of the retreat, I was feeling just as, um, I don't know, even more distraught after the end of the retreat because I felt like I've spent another seven days and trying to get closer to whatever this self-realization is, and all it's showing me is how um, concerned I am about my husband dying or my dog dying or how worried I get about maintaining my career or I just thought, you know, all this time, and nothing's happened. So I'm having all of these thoughts about, you know, what the heck? How do you how do you get anywhere from here? And I was back at the airport in Santa Barbara, and that young man came and sat next to me. And I said, oh, I remember seeing you in Phoenix. You were meditating really blissfully, and I remember thinking, your meditation is working, mine isn't working. And he said, Mine wasn't working either until I met Sadhguru. And I said, who's Sadhguru? And so he said, he's a yogi and a mystic and a, you know, a guru from South India. And I wondered, since I'm a seeker, how come I'd never heard of him? And he, you know, he said, well, he hadn't come to this country that often. And then he starts getting a little bit over the top. He's, you know, obviously very enamored with Sadhguru, and I started to feel a little uncomfortable, like he was too much of a devotee or something. But he said, Sadhguru Jaggi Dazadev. And I remember thinking that name Jaggi was unusual. But anyway, I filed it and didn't think much about it, and then I went to a, I was living in Atlanta, and I went to a Deborah Pramal concert at the Unity Church on a Wednesday night, and I had such a good time. I'd always been kind of a closet seeker, because Atlanta's really a pretty Baptist place. And all of my spiritual interest doesn't doesn't fit into anything conventional. And I, you know, I owned a business and had a place in the community, and so I was kind of like a closet yogi. But I went to the Deborah Pramal concert at Unity, and I thought, you know, I've gone to India, and I go to retreats in California, and I've been to France for retreats, and I hadn't paid any attention to, you know, the, quote, spiritual scene in Atlanta. And I thought, I wonder if there's anything in Atlanta I might be interested in. So after the concert, I went home and went on the Internet for Unity for upcoming events, and up, up pops the picture of Sadhguru Jaggi Vazadev. And this is some six months later, and he was going to be at Unity uh, that, that, that Sunday coming up. So um, I thought that was pretty neat. Nobody told me about it, and I just stumbled on it. And Anyway, so I went to his public talk to check him out, and... When I saw him, the hair in my arm stood up. It was just such a strong recognition of somebody I'd met somewhere, somehow, sometime. And what it was is that strong recognition of that self that's in me that I saw when I was meeting with Ramdas. I'd never personally met some kind of embodiment like that before. So then the next day he was giving a talk at somebody's house I ended up at, and people were asking him questions. And... Before I went to the talk, I thought, well, you know, you never get to be in a room with somebody like this. I'm going to see if I can ask him a question. And I was meditating, and the question that came to me was, how come I've been able to make my life work? I've been able to find a good guy and make a lot of money and have a pretty life, and yet I haven't been able to use my mind in any way, shape, or form to become self-realized. And so people are asking him, you know, how do I heal my health or how do I make more money or is there such a thing as soulmates? And they're asking him all this stuff. And the thought pops into my mind about 
I don't think I'm going to ask him my question. I don't think it's appropriate. And as soon as I had that thought, he pointed to me and said, ask your question. And the I powerful said, thing was that in that moment, he said, there's a lot of people with questions that are more surface, but it's those questions, those sincere questions that will kill someone if they don't get answered. And one of you, that was your question, just like that question of when you were a little girl and wanting to know where does the person go. There are certain questions right. that kind of churn within us until they are finally answered. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so and then I'm saying, no, I don't have a question. He said, you have a question. I said, no, I don't have a question. He said, just ask your question. You have a question. So I asked my question, and I asked the question I just told you, how come I haven't been able to do it? And there was a, a cake on a little table near him, and it had, you know, a knife next to it, a butter knife. And he said, your mind is like this cake. Um, your mind is like this knife, and he sticks the knife into the cake, and he pulls it out, and it has cake all over it. And he said, it's a tool. But because of all your past experiences, it ha- it's accumulated your past experiences where it's not as clear a tool. He said, the cake on the knife is an example of the shape that your mind is in. And if you can clear those past experiences off of your mind, then your mind is a tool that can penetrate to everything. And then everything starts to move a lot faster. So he said, the yoga that I teach... Um, and transmit will help you take the cake off the knife. And so um, I thought that was a pretty good answer. You know, it made sense. I mean, basically, he was telling me my mind was kind of dull. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think what it also illustrates is that cake is the world, and the the world ends up uh, uh, sticking to the mind. And, and that's what also needs to be cleared off, along with the identity and the personalities that we take on. My guest today is Cheryl Simone, and she has written a book entitled Midnights with the Mystic, A Little Guide to Freedom and Bliss, that is based on her midnight conversations with Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev. He writes, or he speaks to her in one passage, Whatever your destiny is right now, it is self-created, but unfortunately you are creating it unconsciously. It is written by you and nobody else. The Creator has given you perfect freedom. He has put His own self into you. Your destiny is written by you. It is only because of feelings of helplessness that people are talking so much about destiny. You can also create your destiny consciously. I want you to know the power, the liberation of another kind of science the inner science, the yogic science through which you can become the master of your own destiny. Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev is a yogi, mystic, and visionary. He's a spiritual master with a difference. His foundation, ishafoundation.org, is a place that you can go to find out about his different programs, including his uh, center that is in the United States, along with uh, his place that is in India. So once again, go to ishafoundation.org. That is I-S-H-A foundation.org. We'll be right back with Cheryl Simone. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 
11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you would like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Simron at simron-singh.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simron Singh. You have not yet understood the enormity of being human. If you take a human being into his full height, the divine will be a part of his life. If you have mastery over your physical body, 10 to 15% of your life and destiny is under your control. If you have sufficient mastery over your mind, 40 to 60% of your life and destiny will be under your control. If you have complete mastery over your life energies, 100% of your life and destiny will be under your control. This is from the book Midnights with the Mystic, A Little Guide to Freedom and Bliss by Cheryl Simone and Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev. This book was written as an account of conversations and the life experience of Cheryl Simone as she went through her own path of seeking and discovered uh, Vasudev's work as well as his different studies in the yogic science that would help to uh, transform and transmute her own life to a higher level than what she had been able to achieve so far. Um, Cheryl, as you were going through the experience and and Sadhguru ended up uh, being with your place at your place for these conversations, was there um, was it more so that you were being you were following this guru and and his words were in some way helping to open you, or is it more so that your recognition of the truth of the words and your own experience through the yogic sciences that you were taught was allowing you more awakening to your true self? I'm not positive how to answer that. You know, you get in the presence of somebody who is vibrating at a higher level, and there's some kind of osmosis or something that happens. Um, you get affected by it, and you the more receptive you are to that, the more affected that you get to it. Um, you know, I think if we were totally receptive, we might just get enlightened getting in the presence around somebody like that. So it's kind of a wearing down of resistance and all our opinions about how we think life is and just being able to receive a transmission. But from my own experience... There's so much, it's so much more powerful to 
have a teaching transmitted through a being like this than just simply reading about it in a book or just taking a class. There's something else. I just don't feel like you walk out of the room the same as when you walk in after you've sat in front of him for a class. Let's, you walk talk, out a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about the receptivity and what has to happen to truly be in that receptive place because I think that there are all kinds of experiences, and I do definitely agree with you, that when you are in the presence of a being that vibrates at that type of frequency of love and knowing that you can't help but be affected. But there are people that even stand in that place or in other places, and they do not receive the effect or to the same degree. And it does have a lot to do with the receptivity uh, and openness to receiving that grace in that moment from that being as well. Talk about what are the blocks to receptivity or what are the hindrances to uh, releasing the control that we seem to carry in our minds and our bodies. Simran, I think it's all in our mind. You know, we we come with a bunch of opinions that we think are facts or we've been spoon-fed all kinds of beliefs about things. And because we've already got these fixed ideas, we're not open to receive anything that doesn't fit in to what um, the way we think it is. And and receptivity is a funny thing. So he's a yogi and on, on top of being a guru and a mystic, and he knows the yogic sciences. And part of the yogic sciences, they can make energy forms. Um, like at Delphi, there's one of those orbs, and, you know, it, it, it's an energy form, and supposedly it was made by yogis from, from what I've read. So this is a science that the yogis know that nobody else seems to know. And, and Sadhguru's made some of these forms and you know he's got temples in India when that you can sit in that these forms are in and the the meditation hall in Tennessee has um has been consecrated in a way that you sit in that space and you can feel something so when i met him i didn't believe in energy forms and i said you know i don't believe in energy forms and he said why not you are one and so I thought, well, okay, maybe I believe in energy forms, but I don't believe somebody can go make them. But in spite of that, like they have this, in India, they have something called a tichakund, and you go and get wet, and there's this mercury um, form that's under the water, and it, it makes it really buoyant. But, you you know, the idea is you, you get in the water for 15 minutes before you go sit in the temple, and you will be more receptive to the energy from the temple by preparing yourself in this way. And so I didn't believe in it at all, and I got in the teacher kund, and I could hardly sleep for three days. I got so buzzed from that energy. And then when I sat in the temple, suddenly I've been sitting there, and it's dark out, and it's already been a couple hours, and I, I thought I'd only been there five minutes, and I just went into a really deep state. So receptivity is a funny thing. You can come to the table this way, and then you can do yoga and get more receptive, or you can go on a fast and get more receptive, or you can, there's many different ways to become more receptive. So it's not, your, your receptivity isn't fixed. It can, it can, you can become more and more receptive over time. The whole idea of spiritual practice, I think, is to wear down what keeps us from not being receptive. Because it's all around us. We're just locked into our minds. And, and we miss it. 
Now, part of, I think, what is very valuable in the way that Sadhguru Vasudev's uh, being is, is the fact that he is so tangible in terms of human beings. He he loves to drive fast. He wears jeans. He likes to be behind the wheel of a boat. He he you know wears the baseball caps. He's he's not that typical always look of what people in their minds hold as a guru. And sometimes that image can also create a whole nother type of expectation. Do you feel like uh, in, in the presence of Sadhguru Vasudev or in, in the midst of any of his work, that there's a certain uh, pretense that is lifted because he's allowing himself to be seen in that humorous, light nature and uh, more human type of way rather than uh, being more elevated. Because it didn't come like it didn't feel that way through the book that he tries to lift himself above others, but more so tries to bring people to the recognition of what they are as they see in him. I think, you, I think you're exactly right. He's not trying to elevate himself. In fact, I think he's trying to bring himself down to our level. So we see him more and more human. I mean, if, some, if you can't get there, if somebody can't get there as a human then what's the point? Who, what difference does it make if somebody else is there and it's not possible for you to get there? I mean, it's all wonderful, but what's the point? Seeing somebody that you can also see as a human that has, you know, made themselves that much bigger, it's a huge example, and it's a very useful tool. And he's the most fun. And I love it that it's not like some stuffy image. I mean, I used to think, well, I, I'll... I could never get enlightened because I'm cut from a different cloth than that. I'll never be that good or that holy or that something. And then you meet a fully human person who's just like, you know, to the max. It's just um, a fantastic example. He does more than anyone human. I mean, he's planted like hundreds of thousands of trees in a day. He's built schools everywhere. His schedule is 20 hours a day. I mean, I, I remember he was in Atlanta one time, and they wanted him to come to Spain, and he was going to be teaching, and he said, well, let me see, it's an eight-hour flight to Spain, I can stay eight hours, and then I'll be back, in 24 hours I can be back. Now, what other human would go to Spain and come back the same day from Atlanta? There's just no boundaries. And that's really fun to see when somebody, like, we, we protect our comfort zone dearly. Like, whatever we do, we don't want to get uncomfortable. We don't want to get not enough sleep, or we don't, you know what I mean? We don't want to push the envelope. And I had noticed before I'd met him, as I was getting older, my comfort zone was getting smaller. And it really is true. There's no growth inside your comfort zone. You've got to get out of it. You've got to push so the I, limit. I want to dive into some of the skepticism that people have, and I certainly can understand it. I... I have watched uh, those so-called gurus from my own culture that are preaching the holy and, and standing for something, but then on the side their behavior is not in alignment or it ends up being about a business or it ends up being this, that, or the other. And it's not just um, so-called gurus. Um, it's even people in this culture that are some of the leaders or so-called teachers that are using the wisdom to create an end uh, uh, 
materialistic uh, point of view for themselves. And that was one of your uh, comments initially, was how many limousines does he have? And I think that that's probably a fear that a lot of people have in terms of, you know, is this person legit? Is this just another thing that I'm buying into that I'm going to be suckered out of? Is it, you know, is it just another sip of the Kool-Aid somewhere? And what was the difference that helped you reach, first of all, um, a comfort zone in being around him so that you could get to the point of allowing him to push your comfort zone so that you could grow? Well, in my case, there was such extreme recognition when I met him, I didn't have any doubt. Um, He just was so familiar to me. The other part is, I'm not very easily influenced. I liked what the Buddha said when he said, you know, read my teachings and take anything that sounds right to you and throw away anything that doesn't. So what do we have to lose? I don't have any fear I'm going to end up like drinking Kool-Aid. That would never happen to me. Um, So I've never met anybody that I feel like is as wise and as dedicated to helping people grow as he is. Um, And if I didn't feel like I was growing, I wouldn't be interested. So I guess... um, and I've been around him 11 years now, and I, he, it's, he's very dedicated to wanting to raise human consciousness. That's the only motivation I see. And so, I, I don't know. You know, I grew up in, in the tail end of the 60s and in the 70s, and there were a bunch of bad gurus that came, and everybody got really upset. And I don't know if they just, you know... Um, I don't know if they were con people from the beginning or they had reached a certain exalted state and they had fallen or I don't know anything about them. Um, I just know I have to go into my own heart and see, does this feel right to me? And that's always been my guide. That's perfect. My guest today is Cheryl Simone, and the book is Midnight's with the Mystic, A Little Guide to Freedom and Bliss. And this is another passage that was spoken by Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev. Who you are right now, your whole personality, everything that you are is a complex accumulation of your impressions of life itself. This is like your software. This is what is referred to as your karma. It is the volume of your impressions. Everything you have perceived has imprinted itself on your mind and even on your energy. The very way your body behaves, the very way your energies behave is a result of the past impressions of your karma. The very way you move your body is programmed. So what you call karma is the sum of the vast store of impressions you have taken as your software. Because of these impressions, you develop certain tendencies. These are unconscious tendencies. Your body, your mind, your emotions, your energies, everything works according to these tendencies that evolve because of the vast store of impressions. This is the influence of karma on your life. Unless one rises to a certain pitch of awareness and has a certain mastery over oneself, one is always being pushed and pulled by these tendencies that have been created unconsciously. Even though you are being pushed in certain directions, all this was created by you, no one else but you. Isha Foundation is a non-religious, non-profit public service organization that addresses all aspects of human well-being, from its powerful programs for inner transformation to its inspiring projects for society and environment. Isha activities are designed to create an inclusive culture that is the basis for global harmony and progress. This approach has gained worldwide recognition and is reflected in Isha Foundation's 
special consultative status with the Economic and Social Council of the United Nations, supported by hundreds and thousands of active, dedicated volunteers in more than 200 centers worldwide. The Foundation's activities serve as a thriving model for human empowerment and community revitalization throughout the world. This is the work of Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev, who is a yogi, mystic, and visionary. You can find out more about his work and everything that he is connected to at ishafoundation.org, I-S-H-A foundation.org. We'll be right back with Cheryl Simone and this book, Midnight's with the Mystic. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you would like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to Simron at Simron-Singh.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simron Singh. I'd like to invite you to look at the latest issue of 1111 Magazine. It is now released, and it is a powerful issue that is covering the entire Rebel Road. The Rebel Road was the embarkment of a one-woman show tour around the country, 11 months, 66 cities, my two children and myself in an RV, letting go of identity, personality, and diving into my unknown self allowing myself to discover everything that I had not been so that I could know more of me. And in this journey, there has been amazing magic, miracles, and beautiful unfoldings of community and union and communication. So I invite you to visit this issue of 1111 Magazine and meet many of the people along the road for the first two months of that journey up the East Coast and all of the amazing people that are doing their own work in the world, and you can connect directly with them for anyone that resonates 
resonates with you. Enjoy that. It is freely gifted to humanity by me always, and it is intended to inspire you, to enlighten you, and to awaken you to the possibility that you are as you see the many mirrors in the world that are you. You can go to Simran-Singh.com or 1111mag.com. And while you're there, look up my two books, Conversations with the Universe, that allows you to understand we all get signs, symbols, and synchronicities that guide us all of the time. The universe is speaking to you. Are you listening? And my second book that just released, Your Journey to Enlightenment. Enlightenment is a process that is invited, initiated, invoked from within that you open yourself to, but it requires the letting go of all the things that you've been in bondage to, in servitude to, in the ways that you have replicated in society, rather than being your own creative rebel. It's time to dive back into the innocence of the child, and you'll discover how to step into courage and out of conformity as you read your journey to enlightenment. My guest today is Cheryl Simone, and she has written a book entitled Midnights with the Mystic. This is a conversation and an experience that she has had over the course of some time with Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev, and it is filled with beautiful passages of his own wisdom along with her own experience, a very practical experience, and one that has been wrought with many of the same questions, feelings, affirmations, and openings that many of you may have had in your own life. Many times we are often skeptical or we are seeking and we haven't found that exact thing. We are wondering where it is sitting and we are oftentimes creating things in our life but not the very thing that we have been looking for most of all. In this book, Cheryl talks about finding it, not only finding that, but realizing help, realizing a wealth of life that she could now tap into. Another passage from the book, Midnights with the Mystic. The moment you are identified with many things that you are not, then you cannot stop the thoughts, starting with the physical body, which is an accumulation, the mind, the emotions, things, people. You've taken on so many false identifications. They run on endlessly. People do not understand the relationship between these false identities and themselves. You may know happiness in this state. You may know some joy because of some external situations, but just being yourself in an absolutely pleasant way is not possible for most people. Happiness in this state is because of something external. It is not the way you are. You know, um, Cheryl, my, my journey over this past year has really been about letting go of identity and personality and stepping out of bondage and into freedom. And as I was reading Midnights with the Mystic, there were some passages and conversations that Sadhguru was having where he spoke very much about how we create our own bondage and how we have to let go of identity and personality to open to the greater vastness that we are. And you even alluded to that in the last segment about uh, receptivity and, and opening to that and and allowing yourself to go further and further uh, outside of the comfort zone. And one of those ways happened to be in regard to your health and what you thought you were capable of or not. Speak a little bit to that bondage and movement into freedom, and that also that movement from what is the comfort zone to what is outside the comfort zone. You know, the comfort zone, it's, um, you, you, the way you know it is when you got out of it, right? <laughs> Everything's fine until you're not in it anymore. And I noticed as I was making money or as I was getting more successful, things needed to look nicer and nicer around me. Like suddenly the hotels needed to have 
a number of stars or my clothes always needed to look a certain way or I had to have a certain car and, you know, all that stuff is fine. It's, it has nothing to do with growth or who you are. And if we, if we base our happiness on life working, it's gonna, we're going to hit a lot of bumps because it's never going to work 100% the way we want it to. I mean, the way the system is created, people die. So that in itself is something we're not going to want. So all kinds of, we're never going to want to see a good story end. All kinds of things are going to happen we don't like. So the goal of, of the whole spiritual process is, can I be fine no matter what? It's not, okay, I'm going to be fine once I make enough money. I'm going to be fine once I get the perfect job. I'm going to be fine <clears throat> once I meet my soulmate. It's, can I be fine right now no matter what? That is fine. Um, that is powerful. Can I be fine no matter what? Because I think a lot of people are on this journey to get to an end destination mm-hmm. or to have life look a certain way. And it really is more about being with what is, regardless of what is. Totally accepting what is. Totally accepting what is. I took a Himalaya trek trip that Sadhguru was um, organizing some 10 years ago when I first met him. And I found it very difficult. It was, you know, like nine hours of walking straight up, and it was freezing sometimes, and it was pouring on us other times. And, I mean, the first time up one of the mountains, this Indian woman came up to me and said, are you going all the way? And I said, yes. I was sitting down resting. I'd only been at it for an hour or two, and she said, I'll pray for you. And I just started laughing. I've only been up a few hours, and I need to be prayed for already. (laughs) I'm in trouble. So I kept bumping into Sadhguru on this trip, and every time I bumped into him, he started talking about comfort. And I said, I don't get it. I'm here. I'm having fun. Nothing is bothering me. You can't seem to look at me without talking about comfort. What's the deal? Don't yogis like comfort? He said, oh, yogis like comfort. Yogis want to be the most comfortable. They want to be the most comfortable with anyone at any time, under any circumstance, even lying on a bed of nails. They don't want to settle for these small, small, petty comforts. They want the big comfort. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to just make it all look really good and, and have it all be perfect, and then we'll be comfortable. And what freedom if you're fine no matter what? Now, as you did some of these these things that really expanded you, you had health issues. You had um, certain things that were of concern to you and weren't sure if physically you were capable of these things, yet you did allow yourself to move forward past that anyway. How did you get beyond the mental limitations of of who and what you were so that you could realize you could move past that place? You know, um, I think it was four months or something after I started doing the Kriya that he taught that a lot of things that were wrong with my health got into balance. I had hyperthyroidism, which um, it had my blood pressure 35 over 75 or something. I was high risk for heart attack. And what they wanted to do was have me drink iodine and kill my thyroid and then put me on thyroid replacement the rest of my life. And I was really afraid of that concept that if I was on thyroid replacement, I, you know, I thought there was a chance you could get really fat. And I asked the doctor's nurse, and she said, oh, God, you should have seen this woman who was in this morning. She gained 100 pounds. So that was out. Um, 
I was taking the beta blockers to keep my heart in check and um, trying to figure out what the heck to do. And I just started doing these Kriyas. And I think, you know, I was, I had chronic fatigue. I had all these things. And once I started consistently doing the Kriyas for about four months, I think my system went into balance. I think you can get stressed out and wear yourself to death and, you know, go through these experiences and get yourself in an, in an anxious state and then not know how to get out. Like meditation wasn't getting me out. I mean, massage wasn't getting me out. The meditation I was doing wasn't getting me out. Walking wasn't getting me out. But these creases that he taught and his little system, I think my system just lined up. And once your immune system works, then all these things fall into place. And in the other part of the question, the answer is just don't take no for an answer. Just set a goal, put your eye on it, and don't let these little speed bumps interfere. You know, I I do value that there are people, again, with the vibration that are going to help to uh, increase your own or give you things that you may not have been able to attain just on your own. There are times when that will happen. But speak to how you had to be the one to do it, that, that it, the yogic science, the, the methods of breathing, the, the asanas, the, the different things that you underwent that were your discipline at the time, that had to be your own experience to allow you to open up inside what had been blocked. And, and how much of it um, was actually more that, uh, uh, Sadhguru Vasudev definitely was a facilitator. He was a catalyst. He was the energy that held the space and and lifted the space. But but speak to how much of it really was you so that people, again, don't fall into the trap of placing someone up on a pedestal that they will never reach. He's kind of funny about this. He says, people come to me and they want me to do something, but when you come to me, I want you to do something. Hmm. Which is kind of cute. I mean, I think we all want Prince Charming to come or for God to come save us, and we're not going to have to do anything. I don't think it works that way. It's up to us. I mean, somebody once said, God doesn't choose, you choose. It's not, I don't think you just lay down there and eventually you're going to get lucky. I mean, you have to set the course and set the goal, and, and you have to do what it takes. It doesn't get done to you. Now, you can up-level your energy, I think, by being in a field of energy like his, and it definitely has impact. And as I said, the more receptive you get, the more it affects you. But you have to show up, and you have to do your part. And, you know, it takes it definitely takes effort. And every time that you would allow yourself to go through the experience of getting into your body through the breath work or the asanas or um, any of the other experiential methods that were used... What could you feel was the the in the moment change, and then what was the the unfolding change that would would happen for you, so that people kind of understand the types of things that can be instantaneous, and although everyone's different, there are things that can be instantaneous, and then there are things that are just supposed to be the unfolding, so that we experience ourselves as the journey. I think you just need to set the course and do everything you can and take your mind away from trying to evaluate it because so much of what happens doesn't even happen on the level of our mind. 
I had a teacher years ago that told me he his third eye was open, and it was in the Ramdas group that I was involved in years and years ago. And he said somebody was he was doing a guided meditation, and he watched this guy sitting on a cushion, and he looked like a baby and a young kid, and then a, a an adolescent, and then a young man, and then a middle aged man, and an old man, and he saw him look like that three times. And the man came up to him after and said, that was the most painful hour of meditation I ever sat through. And he said, it should be. You worked through three lifetimes sitting on that cushion for an hour. Mm. <laughs> and so later I said to Sadhguru, is it like that? And he said, sort of, not exactly, sort of, not exactly. But I did a seven-day silent retreat in India that we had to do a lot of yoga in preparation 40 days for, and, and you eat half raw and you do, a, you know, the hatha yoga and the breathing and you really prepare for it. And, and the whole thing is in silence. And at the end of those seven days, the only way I could describe it, I mean, even though I had some peak experiences during the seven days, when I walked out of there, I felt like I left a Santa Claus bag full of stuff in that room. Hmm. I walked out of that room lighter than I walked in. And so... And I ran into Sadhguru after that first retreat, and he said, how was it? I said, it was really hard for me. And he went, Phew. I thought, what does he know about hard? <laughs> Nothing's been hard for him for a really long time. And he said, you did really good. And I thought, if I did good, all I did was what I was supposed to do. I, didn't, I thought it was difficult. If I did good, then just showing up and doing the very best you can is all it takes, because what's happening isn't happening on the level of your mind. Exactly. Yoga means knowing and experiencing everything as a part of yourself. Modern science has proved beyond a doubt that everything is one energy. Religions are screaming that God is everywhere. Whether you say God is everywhere or everything is one energy, you are saying the same thing from two different contexts. A scientist has mathematically deduced this reality. He has not experienced it. His realization is intellectual. It does not transform his life. A religious person just believes it. A yogi is one who is unwilling to settle either for deductions or belief systems. He wants to experience and know it. In that sense, yoga is a technology of taking a person from this individuality to his universality, to knowing and experiencing existence as himself. Pantajali, who is considered to be the father or assimilator of yoga, said this very beautifully. When he began the Yoga Sutras, he said, and now yoga. What he meant was that now you've tried everything, tasted money, power, wealth, love, pleasure, and you even did the drugs. Sadhguru said and laughed, and nothing really worked. It was all fine, but it did not bring you any great sense of fulfillment. When you know this, you are ready for yoga. This is from the book Midnights with the Mystic, A Little Guide to Freedom and Bliss by Cheryl Simone and Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev. Isha Foundation is a non-religious, non-profit public service organization that addresses all aspects of human well-being, from its powerful programs for inner transformation to its inspiring projects for society and environment. Isha activities are designed to create an inclusive culture that is the basis for global harmony and progress. You can find out more about Sadhguru Jaggi Vasudev's work at ishafoundation.org. That is I-S-H-A. And the author of this book is Cheryl Simone who's a lifelong student of human potential, a spiritual seeker and an entrepreneur, a wife, a mother, and the CEO of several businesses. 
For more information on Cheryl's experiences and to download a free introductory talk by Sadhguru entitled Inner Engineering, you can also go to ishafoundation.org, and in the future, you can go to midnightswiththemystic.com. If you'd like an opportunity to see Sadhguru Jagavasudev, he will be in the Atlanta area May 16th through 18th. You can find out more about that and any other events that he is hosting around the world at ishafoundation.org. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for being on 1111 Talk Radio, and thank you all for listening. In love, of love, with love and as love, I'm Simran Singh. Be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Talk Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.